I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder. I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Oh yeah, baby, Richard Feynman. Dickie Feynman. Matt, what do you think of this man? I, I would go as far as saying he's my absolute hero. I'm rereading Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, yet again, because I absolutely love that book. It is quite the book. They're very inspirational. Incredible. So how are you, Matt? You hurt your hand last week. We're all worried about you. Are you okay? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yes, yeah, so so my hand hasn't dropped off yet. Good. So it looks like I'll be fine. If it does, maybe you could get one of those cool like pirate hooks. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and live by the sea. Oh. Well, you are in the right place in the world. Yeah, get a patch. You for could the just eye. scare scare the local children as they walk past you and say, "There he is, old Hooky," and and buy a parrot. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see it happen. Nah, I'm I'm not I'm not going to go down that route. Podcast one six eight. It's a big one. Ridiculous. Ridiculi. This is being released on January the 17th, and yes. uh, on this day, remember we were talking about rocket disasters, there was a pretty... I remember. It was a pretty big one. No one died on this one, so I don't think we mentioned it, but yes, back in 1997, uh, the, a Delta II rocket carrying a GPS satellite blew up 13 seconds into flight, and it was only half a kilometre above the launch complex. Yeah, not good. It was automatic, so they, this onboard computer sensed that something was wrong, and apparently the casing of a solid rocket motor was broken. Yeah, it had a crack in it, right? From some transport system that they were, a new transport system that they were trying out. Um, but yeah, so the upper stages were blasted free from this automatic explosion of all the solid rocket uh, motors and the booster itself. And then someone on the ground had to do a manual destruct of that. Can you imagine how stressful that is? Like, oh, my, oh my God. God, I've got to press the button. Blows that up. The payload, no the payload, the satellite, was still intact when it hit the ground. So that was blown out even further. And oh all, this de- all this debris landed on the launching pad. 250 tonnes of debris fell around the launch pad. And uh, some of it landed in a uh, in a parking lot or a car park, as we call it, uh, mm. uh, destroying twenty cars. Oh my God, two hundred and fifty tons of debris. <laughs> it's just insane, isn't it? That and the explosion so massive, people felt it twenty five miles away. And uh, it, it smashed the windows of shops that were 10 miles away. Wait, and, and no one was hurt? No one was hurt. Well, I'm, there must have been miracle. some minor injuries, but no one died. No one was killed, though. Yeah, that that's a big one, isn't it? Bloody Nora. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that, that was 1997. 23 years ago on this day. Matt, would you like to hear what happened this week, ah. bringing things into the modern age. Yeah, tell me what happened this week because I think it's been quite a busy week. Well, pretty busy. I mean, the 10 billion SLS core stage finished and packed up, ready for transport down to Stennis in Mississippi. How many eyes in Mississippi, Matt? There's quite a few, isn't there? I'm going with five. Four. Oh, I have to take your first answer. <laughs> damn. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's four, yeah. Yeah, damn. Um, 
on the barge, you love this barge, don't you? Mm. Pegasus. 64 meter long Pegasus. Nice. What a beast. It is a beast. Not as much of a beast as SLS, though. $10 billion. It is massive. When you put it into perspective, I love those images when they're taking it to the... Down to the barge. It's yeah. just incredible. Well, it's it's that it's the little people stood next yeah. to that massive truck that takes it. It's just you you can barely envisage the scale of it all, and to think all those lovely shuttle engines are going to end up in the sea. <laughs> I know, what a sight, Jamie. I've got a bit of UK news. Oh, go on from our friends up at Orbex. Oh, love them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a well-respected launch integration provider from the US, a company called Tricept Corporation. Oh, yeah. Have announced this week that uh, they've procured a full mission for the maiden voyage of Orbex Prime uh, set to launch in 2022 from Sutherland wow. Spaceport in Scotland. That's pretty exciting, that isn't it? Is wicked. Yeah. We were wondering when that sort of news is going to come around. But there's actually a manifest now for the Orbex Prime launch, the maiden voyage. Oh, congratulations, Orbex. Yeah, and Tricep are obviously confident of UK launches, but the fact that they've moved to Harwell Space Campus near the Space Store, Jamie, in Oxford. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. What, the one that we gave our keynote TED Talk to? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much our Artemis yeah. keynote. I think that's what everyone's calling it, right? TED Talk, Space Store Talk. What's the difference? Yeah, 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 yep, yep. Except people don't do TED Talks dressed in spacesuits, do they? <laughs> These guys do. Aye. Hey, Matt, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. What's going on with uh, Crew Dragon at the moment? Wow, the Crew Dragon. This, this is going to be super exciting this weekend. Crew Dragon on a in-flight abort test. So we're going to see a, a Falcon 9, like, deliberately destroyed. Um, the good thing about that Falcon 9, it's on its fourth flight. How many deliberately destroyed boosters can say that? Yeah, that is so, pretty special. So it's going to carry the Crew Dragon up to 21 kilometres. So that's uh -huh. a good 40 times higher than that Delta II managed. And... Yeah. Uh, just at this critical time, apparently that's like a really bad time to have to do an abort. Um, it's going to do an abort and the Crew Dragon's Super Draco boosters will drag the capsule away. Obviously, that ignition of the Super Draco boosters will probably completely destroy the Falcon 9 below it. We'll start breaking it up. So the Falcon 9 yeah. won't be able to return to a nice little barge somewhere. And... The second stage of that Falcon 9 will probably be okay, but it's had its Merlin engine removed, so so it's not a complete waste of money and had a sort of block put in there. Um, yeah, but Matt, Merlin's such a cool name. It is, isn't it? Merlin. It's one of the better engine names rather than their VBE. Oh, what does that stand for? A very big engine. Oh, Jamie, get don't, get, don't, don't get too harsh on acronyms and initialisations. <laughs> you know, I like it peps me up for the podcast. Yeah, we've got we haven't really got any uh, good acronyms this week. Um, oh. I tell I tell you who'll be watching that that uh, launch even more avidly than me, and that is the two Na who's that the two NASA astronauts Bob Benken and Doug Hurley, who should be flying up to the International Space Station on a Crew Dragon later this year if all goes would, to, if all yeah. goes to plan 
definitely be watching if I were them, taking notes. Yeah. Jamie, you know the weirdest story of the week, though, don't you? Oh, God, I know what you're going to say. I've been <laughs> thinking about this all week. <laughs> what the hell? I mean, what in God's name is yeah. going on? I, 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 it's, it's classic, isn't it? It's that classic. I think everyone looks at that kind of thing as, uh, and thinks, well, it's just Japanese culture. It's so out there, isn't it? It's like, no, this isn't out there at all. This is creepy and horrible and sexist. And what is he thinking? It's, it's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, how did he think people would react? It's ridiculous. Tell me the story, Jamie. At least fill me well, in. Well, Matt, you know Japanese billionaire. Yeah. Yazuka Mizawa. Yeah. Launching his campaign of Dear Moon, Flight Around the Moon. Mm. Well, he's put a Tinder-like campaign to find a girlfriend <laughs> to join him. Oh, it's... Uh, a contest, just like Miss World, Matt, or uh, Miss Out of This World. See what I did? Yeah, it's nice. Uh, will be a Japanese reality show called Full, Full Moon Lovers. I need to stop you there. Full Moon yeah. Lovers. Full Moon Lovers. I mean, there's a kind of... It's quite funny, isn't it, that doing a full moon is is exposing your bottom on the back of the school bus. But <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> but, yeah, Full Moon Lovers. Oh, I mean... <laughs> it's just unreal. God damn, yeah, it gets worse. It gets worse. So what, who's uh, it open to? So, yeah, to? there we go. Open, open to single women interested in going to space. Over the age of 20... Right. Well, it makes it uh, reasonably less creepy, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Um, who want uh, world peace. <laughs> I love that he's just dropped that in to try and make it all way less creepy. Yeah, no, I I'm not interested if you're not interested in world peace because there's so many girls out there who who just are not bothered about world peace. Like, who isn't into world peace? What the hell? I mean, it is so... I don't even know where to start. I mean, can you imagine how weird it will get if someone goes up, they're just instantly creeped out by him? It'd be a long trip, wouldn't it? Imagine if he does the sort of they're snogging in the snogging by the window as they sort of pass by the moon, and then you like James Bond, yeah, and yeah. then you see them attempting re-entry. Oh, don't! <laughs> oh, no, oh, oh no, don't! I set you up for that. Didn't you did I? really. I, I, I can't believe I hadn't thought of it until you said Bond. So yeah. that that uh, unbelievable, Jamie. Uh, do you know what he did as well? He he paid yeah. seven million quid. That's a billion yen. To to for people to retweet the launch of this campaign, uh, uh, and he and he's giving yeah, he's splitting seven million quid, seven million pounds amongst a thousand random tweeters. So even though he got four million retweets, which I think is the biggest ever retweet, um, uh, that's that's one pound seventy five a retweet, which I don't think is particularly good good um, value for money there. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Well, he's definitely got the cash to spare, clearly. Uh, his quote, With that future, partner of mine, I want to shout our love and world peace from outer space. And he's dropped world peace in there again. Yeah, nice. Well, in slightly, oh, uh... less, slightly less bizarre news, Jamie, um, uh, a, yeah. a group of people called the Turtles graduated. Do you know who they are? No, I don't. Educate They me. are NASA's and Canada's latest class of astronauts. Now, you know what I'm going to ask, Matt? Mm -hmm. Why turtles? Do you know what? I, do, I actually don't know. I don't know why they're called turtles. Is it because they're all nearly 200 years old? <laughs> I think it's because they've all got wrinkly necks. 
<laughs> and move very slowly and eat lettuce. Yeah, you, you should have heard the way that they all bigged each other up as they went up to uh, the, the ceremony. They they went up and described the next candidate as each one went wow. up. And, was it, and, and it was like... Was it very pat on backy? It was very, oh my God, this person is so clever, you wouldn't believe it. In fact, I'm pretty much guarantee he's cleverer than 99% of you all out there. It's like, whoa, whoa, wow. whoa. I can't be the 1%. Wow. Any- Matt, let's try it with us. <laughs> Would you like to describe me? Um, I'd like to describe you as a loving, caring man with shocking good looks. Who just? But why did you? Who just wants world why did you peace? Pause before you said man. <laughs> I wanted to call you a boy. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, it's just uh, my. It's just my looks. Who, who wanted world peace? I'm not going to ask you for. I'm not going to ask you for mine. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to. I don't think I'm going to like it, James. You'd like to shout world peace out the window with me? Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, no, wow. absolutely. Um, yeah. So that is uh, the Artemis generation, as Jim Bridenstine called them. Big Jim. Yeah. How many people do you think tried for those slots? Uh, I'm going to hazard a guess at 18,300. That's a very good guess, Jamie. I'd say it's pretty much bang on. Two, back, in, oh, back in 2016, yes. four years ago, whittled down to these seven men and six women. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. So, and well, in, congratulations, Turtles, the, I guess. Yeah. The previous cohort called the Eight Balls because there was eight of them, mm. uh, which included Christina Koch and Jessica Meir. And those two have just completed the second all-female spacewalk this week. Yes, congratulations, Christina and Jessica. Excellent news. But it's not just the Americans and the Canadians unveiling their astronauts. It's not, is it? No. Big up yourselves, India. Yeah, four astronauts shortlisted for the Ganganian project. So that's yeah, India's first awesome. manned space mission. Of course, it's, so they're going to be training in Russia for eleven months. Yeah, uh, eleven months, and then they're going to come back to India to train properly on the Indian specific crew and service modules by the ISRO. Uh, it's a huge look. It is a huge look. So that that is slated for launch in twenty twenty two. Also, a bit like the Orbex Prime mission. That's the seventy fifth yeah. year of independence. I feel a bit bad being British and saying that, but it's yeah. So that's the uh, don't feel bad. No, don't I don't. Feel bad, I don't feel Matt. bad. Nothing to do with me. In fact, uh, yeah, you didn't do anything. I didn't do anything, Jamie. Although my although my uh, grandmother did get married in India. There we go. Did she yeah, really? I only just discovered that very recently. I don't think anyone knew oh. until I found it on one of these. Do you know whereabouts? I don't actually. No, I should. I should probably have paid a little bit more attention there. Well, we'll, uh, we'll we'll try and find out yeah. in the coming weeks. Yeah, yeah. That should be pretty exciting, isn't it? India sending uh, sending astronauts to space. It's, Long it's overdue. It's very exciting. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show how far we've come in 75 years. India has sought independence from Britain, and Britain is sending small satellite launches up, and India will be sending people up. That's that's pretty. That's a pretty big turnaround, isn't it, really? It is excellent. Yeah, I, li- I like Isn't it. history interesting? I'll tell you what, Matt, if you did send a bear up into space, as you just said, <laughs> yeah. um, how much fuel would that take? It's a lot, actually, apparently. yeah, It's a lot, yeah. isn't it? 
<laughs> well, yeah. it depends. I, I guess if you send if you send it on a starship when that's completed, it 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 might not be that expensive. Well, we'll look into it. Well, well I, I'm going to send Elon a tweet. Elon a tweet and say, Elon, you need to first be the bear in space. First bear in space. Sponsored by the Interplanetary Podcast. If you did spend, send a bear, what would you send? A grizzly, a Kodiak, a polar, or a brown? Well, I think people would expect you to say grizzly, but I'm going to say send a black bear. Ah, oh, they're the sweetest uh, of all the bears. I saw one in the wild uh, last year, yeah. and they looked lovely as they were hunting for crabs. So I'm going to send one of them. Well, talking of people who are fantastic at seeing wild animals in in, in the wild, oh, yeah. days, like Sir David Attenborough, the best person in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, he's uh, warning of a uh, of the crisis moment, and it's not surprising because NASA and NOAA have both come out and said that 2019 is the second warmest since record-keeping began in 1880. Mm. Not mm. good. It's becoming hard to refute even the biggest of uh, deniers. What can they do with this evidence? Yeah. Something needs to be done. Well, the good news, though, Jamie, is Franklin Rover, named after the host of the Interplanetary in. Podcast, has... Yeah. Uh, has after completing its environmental test in Toulouse in, in 2019, an environmental test doesn't mean how how much it's like uh, Sir David Attenborough. It's more to do no. with can it survive the minus 120 degrees temperature, the CO2. Of course it can survive, Matt. It's a Franklin. <laughs> it's a Franklin. It can survive anything. Yeah. Um, but yes, no, it's now testing all the sort of integrated systems and all the instruments and lining them up and everything. So that should be pretty much complete very, very soon. Uh, wow. Uh, yes. Uh, and that's that's happening in, in Cannes in France. So it's in a, it, so it's, it's the sort of place you hang out, actually, isn't it, Cannes? Yeah, it's just where I rock up, you know. Yeah. Maybe go and see a film festival and have a glass of martini. Anyway, the one thing we cannot go past this week without talking about are a couple of beauties that came out in the journals this week. Wait, are you going to mention Proxima Centauri? Oh, man, a another planet, Jamie, another planet there. We're ticking them off. Exoplanet Delight. Yes. <laughs> our, our near, How far away is it to start with? Well, Proxima Centauri, 4.2 light years away. That's a, a mere 25 trillion miles away or 25,000 billion miles away. So uh, okay. not, not that far, really, in cosmic terms, but still ridiculously far. Um, in walking terms. Yeah. Well, of course, on a very early podcast, of course, we mentioned the, the exoplanet that was discovered around our nearest neighbour, which was we did. which is still one of my favourite ever discoveries of all time. Imagine that. Our nearest star has a temperate terrestrial planet around it. It's just incredible. I just love that. Oh, man, I was obsessed with this, and now I'm obsessed with it yeah, again. Yeah, well, exactly. We, now we've got double. Now we've got double. Uh, well... Looks like we might have double. So Mario Damaso and a team from and all around the world, and I do mean all around the world. We've got Italy, Greece, Spain, UK, America, Brazil, everywhere. Uh, they detected in the radial velocity evidence that's being collected that there is possibly a second planet with a mass roughly six times that of the Earth and an orbit taking about five years. 
Wow. Okay. So it's not certain, but it's looking very convincing. And they've basically said, look, if you start looking at the Gaia astrometry and uh, and things like that, it, over the next few years, they should be able to absolutely nail this down and get a really highly accurate mass measurement for it. Do you wait till we get James Webb up, Matt? Oh, see, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a good call. That is a good call because... Yeah, James Webb should be able to look at this thing in quite good detail. And one of the reasons why right. is because the, because Proxima is so close, as the name might suggest, um, uh, it, the the planet will the, this planet will be sort of far away enough from the glare of its parent star that you'll be able to actually study it properly. Uh, which is that's like, awesome. It's mega exciting, isn't it? Really. And of course, with these super huge terrestrial telescopes, which I don't want to get bogged down in it. There's a lot of political stuff around those at the moment because of the cultural sites that they're being built on, and which is a bit worrying, really, because they, they, we, we we might not ever finish a couple of them because they're um, in trouble, basically, because of the, because yeah. of, because of where they're being built. But very true. But isn't this cool? The the, the idea that we can look on a a super earth and its formation and evolution. Oh, it, we're just, it doesn't even bear thinking about how cool that is. Um, but I, I don't know why someone hadn't done this before, Jamie, because, I mean, all they had to do was analyse the enlarged radial velocity data set spanning 17 years by performing the Monte Carlo analysis in a Bayesian framework using models based on Gaussian process regression. I mean, how easy could it possibly... <laughs> that is quite a sentence. It's pretty much trivial. <laughs> anyway yeah that that is super exciting news isn't it really is and also super exciting news as well there has there is these set of bizarre objects at the center of the galaxy and they've just grown in size uh bears yes yes bizarre they are so the center of our galaxy as you know jamie is a very extreme place like ridiculously extreme so you've got no doubt. stupid velocities, magnetic fields a go-go, bending of space-time all over the place. Black holes. Just the whole, the whole ridiculous nonsense. So uh, for astronomers, you can consider the centre of the galaxy like the Large Hadron Collider is to physicists. So it's a really yes. great place to be studying because there's just all this exotic stuff going on. So, um, yes, there's a new paper out by Anna Querlo, I don't really know how to say her name, but Querlo, and uh, okay. and it's called a pop and and, a, and another massive international team of scientists. Um, it's just been published in Nature, and it's called a population of dust enshrouded objects orbiting the galactic black hole. That's, that's something I want to read. Yeah, well, it's very interesting actually. So the central part of the Milky Way which is actually an area much too small to even host the the sort of distance between the solar system and Proxima. So this is a really, mm. really small part of the galaxy. But there, obviously, the centre is lurking the supermassive black hole Sagittarius A star. But uh, lots of young stars, these massive stars called um, S stars, and these weird gaseous features and lots of other various gaseous features as well. Uh, uh, do you know that the centre of the galaxy has a density of stars one billion times higher 
than our little kind of suburb of the Milky Way. Cripes, that's a lot. Yeah, because we've got a lot. Yeah, well, you know, I suppose I suppose we aren't sort of spaced out, but you you know you look out into the night sky and you see all these stars. But we're living in a fair. Well, we are really living in a, a very very quiet little village in the middle of nowhere when it comes to being in a galaxy. Living in a quiet village in the middle of nowhere. Uh, in the last decade, though, uh, two unusual object objects were found that were orbiting Sagittarius A-star, and they were called G1 and G2. And these, okay. these objects, because they're, because they're not that big, even though they're about 100 astronomical units across, um, they're unresolved and a bit blurry. Um, but they show both thermal dust emission and line emission from the ionised gas. Uh, and what was very exciting quite recently in 2014, G2, this little blob, started to get very close to the supermassive black holes. It got so close that everyone thought that this dust cloud would be ripped apart and we were going to see this amazing, blazing blast of energy as the material right. was sort of further ripped apart by the accretion disk of the black hole. But it never happened. So G2 sort of passed the black hole on this really close... Uh, periapsis approach and it ended with what a lot of cosmologists call the cosmic fizzle <laughs> because nothing really like yeah because nothing really happened and g2 sort of came out pretty unscathed and started to become ball shaped again after being stretched out into this very long cloud um so they 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 they're they're interacting with the supermassive galactic black hole but not quite in the way that you would ima imagine so there's no there's no kind of consensus about what these things are but it would right. seem they're half gas half star and as andrea gez who's one of the astronomers who was working on this particular paper and is possibly one of the greatest scientists alive today these objects look like gas and behave like stars. That's going to be the title of my autobiography. What's even more exciting, this paper basically using the Keck Observatory in, in Hawaii, uh, they found four additional G-style objects all lying within this heartbeat of the black hole. And this is, this is pretty crazy stuff because now you've got these objects that are that this, this kind of class of object that hasn't been seen anywhere else as far as we know right uh they've all got different paths to each other so it seems to be that they weren't created in the same event so their orbital periods around sagittarius a star range from 170 years to 1600 years so they're they're not formed in the same place but they're clearly formed in a similar processes so anna querlo she actually was talking about these G-style objects back in June 2018. Mm. She thinks that they possibly start as binary stars that are orbiting the supermassive black hole. And because the black hole is perturbing their orbit so much, they start to get closer and closer to each other. And then, as she says, they kiss each other and then they merge. Mm -hmm. This couple is melted together like a Japanese billionaire on a starship. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this merger, unlike oh, the Japanese businessman, takes uh, millions of years to complete. 
uh, and it causes this vast cloud around this this new bigger stellar object and this kind of messy pig pen cloud is obscuring the light from the new star that is crazy i love that because it's in this kind of extreme area of the galaxy i suppose it's this is more likely to happen well i didn't know there was such thing as a pig pen cloud pig pen cloud yeah remember pig pen from charlie brown and he, he always had that sort of cloud of dirt around him that's what i was thinking no you don't it's before my generation it's a, it's a charlie brown reference Mm. Yeah, you know, I know the I know the images. Yeah, that's what it is. Any bit before yeah, my time, a bit before your time. I I suppose I should have done it as a what what cartoons are more your uh, Rugrats. Rugrats, I would yeah, understand. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. yeah, is there a Rugrat who has sort of cloud of dirt or, or, or Matt hmm? harping back to earlier the Teenage Ninja Turtles mutant ones? Yeah, yeah, you could have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Big up Raphael. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a, a chap called Stefan Gillison who, work, who uh-huh. works at Max Planck in Germany. He actually was the discoverer of G2 in the first place. And although he absolutely loves this paper, uh, he's not quite sure that the merging star hypothesis is correct. So this is what he says. He says, Out of the 40 stars we are seeing in the galactic centre, we have six mergers. That means that unless these mergers are very long-lived, you immediately start overproducing the number of stars which should be there. So let, let, <laughs> let me break that down. So, Beautiful. So what he's saying is it, it, we're seeing this short-lived aftermath of a merger, which should only take a million years, and of six of the 40 stars that are there it seems very unlikely that they'll all be in this kind of million-year period considering the galactic scale of billions of years. So so he's kind of got a point. But uh, Coelho has countered that by saying, well, the most recent burst of star formation near Sagittarius A is thought to have occurred about 5 million years ago. And these types of mergers would happen very early on at the beginning of this stellar population formation. So... We, we would see it like that. So that's that's quite compelling as well. But the great thing is, of course, Gillison being a great scientist, thinks that we might have the answer to the conundrum very soon because oh. the really exciting bit, as, G, as G2 approached um, the, the, the supermassive black hole and everyone was expecting this super flare and nothing happened, of course... The, the G2 stellar core will be rolling its way around this m- deep gravity well of, of Sagittarius A in a very different way to the shroud of gas that surrounds it. So they should pull apart. I think that the, the, the core will sort of speed up out of, its, of, out of its shroud, so it should look different, in which case Querlo wins. Well... I'm rooting. I'm rooting for her. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Well, it was certainly. It would be great to have an answer. But yeah, you you look at the roll call of the scientists on that uh, particular paper, and it's it's pretty astounding. God, that is incredible. Yeah. I need to go back and listen to that again. I think. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a beauty. Yeah. That, so these yeah whole new class of objects that uh, are all spinning around the galactic black hole. Well, Matt, talking about spinning around, would you like to hear about some rocket launch news? Yeah. Go on, then hit me. Well, China and Europe, as we record the podcast, mm-hmm. um, they're about to. Well, everyone's having a go. Aren't yeah, yeah, they? yeah. We've got Ariane Five. Mm-hmm. Who else have we got, Matt? 
I, well, it's the, the, I think the Chinese one is, is one of those small Kaiju rockets, which is a bit like a boat. I was hoping you'd pronounce yeah. it. You're much better at that. I than think me. It, I think it's like the I think it's very similar to a Vega uh, style launch vehicle. Like quick, it's quite a quick response vehicle, maybe smaller. Ariane five, yeah, that should be exciting. And yeah, as we mentioned, any more Starlinks this week? Oh my god, yes, there's more Starlinks. Sixty more Starlinks on the twentieth. Oh my god, oh no, it's just ridiculous. Uh, Russia look like they're going to be launching a Soyuz with a with a communication satellite. Japan as well. Japan, yes, on the twenty seventh. We might have India having a go later on in the month, and also. A really exciting one, harking back to uh, UK launch capability. We might see a Launcher One, a Virgin, a Virgin Orbit Launcher One, by the end of the month too. Bloody hell, that almost is everyone. So yeah, it's 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 a busy, busy end to January. Twenty twenty started off with a bang. Yeah, absolutely, Jamie. I I've decided not to have an interview this week. <gasps> We've got some great ones coming up, but. We have got some great ones coming up, uh, but I thought it'd be nice to have a, a shorter podcast so everyone can catch up. <laughs> oh, because well, we, that's very we've nice had... of you. And apologies, everyone, last week for uh, the bad sound quality of my voice uh, with Matt Sharp. Um, I lost the file, so Matt had poor Matt had to use the Skype audio. Yeah, I tell you, that was the hut. So I got sent to the naughty step, but I'm <laughs> I, I'm back again. I've learnt from my mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. But you could still hear me, and um, I think it was a good one. Yeah, 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 absolutely. In fact, you you might be able to find the podcast where Jamie had lost the file and told me just before we recorded it, and and we and and uh, I was taking the Mickey out of Jamie for being in a mood. <laughs> it sometimes happens. Uh, so yes, Jamie, we've got a space fact to finish up and let the Spodcast get on with their weekend. Hit me with one. So yes, the solar system is far from the static clockwork imagined by the ancients, moving right. forever from the infinite past to the infinite future. It's just not like that at all, and the moon obviously is one of the most stunning testaments to that, and it's creation. Sven, one of our awesome patrons, yeah. sent in something to the Discord that I found very, very interesting. Cheers, he almost didn't send it in. He, he read it and then and then lost it. And then found it again. It's all, it's all oh. in German. So it comes from a, a chap called... For God's sake, Sven, I thought I was the only person that loses stuff. <laughs> yeah. It comes from a chap called Florian Freistetter. And uh -huh. it's a German blog. It's really cool. Actually, I, I was looking at his other stuff. It's very, very cool. Uh, but yes, the, the dynamics of the solar system it's about. And, and it's asking the question, is the solar system stable? And he lays out this really gnarly orbital mechanics equation which is an equation of the orbital parameters of two planets uh, in relationship to the change in the semi-major axis of the planet's orbits, uh -huh. uh, which is kind of the mean distance between the star, the sun, and the celestial body. And, the celestial body. and of course, if that mean distance changes too much, then the orbits of the two planets that you're look looking at might be actually crossing in, in their orbits. And if they if, if the orbits cross, you're going to have some bad times, Jamie, some pretty bad times. Sounds like Because it. you're going to have collisions, potentially. So this equation, super hard to uh, um, solve, pretty much impossible if you do it as a differential equation. So 
uh, I think he used this thing called the power series to get estimates for it. And you can look at the equation. And even as a sort of fairly rubbish mathematician like myself, you can see these two terms, N1 and N2, which are the mean orbital periods of the two planets. And you can see that because they're on the bottom of this equation, that if they if the two add up to be zero, you're going to end up with this huge change in this semi-major axis, which of course is bad news. Now, one of the times where you would expect to see this zero on the bottom of the equation is when you have orbital resonances. So do you know what an orbital resonance is, Jamie? I don't. Hit so an orbital re- resonance, imagine... Uh, you've got a planet like uh, Pluto. Yeah. Pluto goes around the sun twice for every time that Neptune goes round three times. And right. because it's locked in with this kind of integer um, amount, they are actually they're, they're actually in resonance. So uh, the same uh, thing. I see what you're yeah, saying. So the same thing. It's almost like a chord being played on a guitar. They, they're kind of forming this kind of weird um, oscillation, almost because this thing happens on a regular basis. So that these weird forces that happen, these perturbations that force, all start adding up. And of course, this helps to shape the solar system. So th- it does happen. These resonances do happen. And in fact, the, the 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 gaps in the rings of Saturn are caused by resonances between the small moons that are orbiting Saturn and stuff like that. Uh huh. So the, the 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 solar system is shaped by resonances. And also, you've got close encounters. Which, if you do have close encounters, that that tends to rearrange things in a in a in a solar system quite quick and quite drastic and flings bodies out of the solar system. With the third kind? Uh, is there a third kind? There, there's bound to be lots of different things I don't got know. Be, I there? don't know about. But these are the two yeah. two close these are the two big ones. You've got your yeah, your close encounters and your resonances. Uh, but this yeah, so is there a chance, of course, that you can have resonances now within the solar system that could that could create this large change in the semi-major semi, uh, axis of any of our planets in the solar system that push and pull them into the path of one another? Well, at the moment, God, no. At the moment, no. Uh, right. Um, they don't quite sum to zero, these orbital periods. Um, and luckily, we're, we've been fairly stable. But because you can never really be sure what the perturbations in, in all the orbits of all the planets. It's so complicated. You're never quite sure how it's going to pan out. So you can't rule it out. You can't rule out that at some point a couple of the planets are going to get into some form of resonance that's going to um, upset the entire solar system and start crashing things into other things. I mean, obviously, this is over extremely long periods of time, Essentially, don't like the thought of things crashing into each other in the solar no, system. Matt. No, it's it's not it scares it, me. It does. It is a bit scary. I mean, we, we're talking about cosmic scales, so we'd have to worry about it in our lifetime. But it's interesting to oh, think, isn't phew. it? The solar system could spin out of control maybe before the sun blows up. So chaos is always lurking somewhere particularly when you've got very complicated orbital mechanics that involves more than two objects. Oh, so, God. Yeah, well, yeah. 
I love that. Thank you, Matt. I'm off to uh, write a song called Chaos Is Always Lurking. What about you? I'm off to write a song called It's a Gas and a Star. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll have to play them on next week's podcast. Okay, excellent. Matt, if I'm a new listener mm-hmm. and I enjoyed this absolute drivel, where can I go to get more information uh, about our social media, merchandise, events and uh, how to become a patron. Well, if you forget what I'm about to say, you could just type the Interplanetary Podcast into Google and see what comes up. But interplanetary.org.uk is the best place to go. It's the site. It's the site. That literally tens of people are talking about. Get yourself down there. Awesome. And if, you know, there's lots of little click-throughs there to Patreon, iTunes, Spotify, all those places where you can go and subscribe, leave lovely reviews... Or you could become a patron and and help us make this journey into space. Thank you for listening once again. Bye bye, Spotcats! See you soon, bye.